to James chapter number 4. James chapter number 4. Does anyone need an outline tonight? If you need an outline tonight, Alfredo would be happy to get that for you. And so if anybody needs an outline, if you slip your hand up, we'll get that to you. James chapter number 4. James chapter number 4. Man, I drank a coffee before getting ready for church tonight. I feel all jittery inside right now. And so... I don't know why, so who knows what's going to happen over the next half hour. So I thought, Felix, when you walked in tonight, that you were wearing a Raiders thing. I'm like, your wife did that to you? You know, just so you know, the Padres, the Padres are about to take down the Dodgers, just so you know. Just so you know. It's, it's a what? It's, it's all right. I, I, that's why I like that jersey. I like it okay. Your wife's Raider jersey. You've got you to gotta do a better job of getting your wife some better clothes. You gotta, and so that would be a good thing. Well, let's not go there, okay? Let's not go there. Let's not go there. You guys lost today, didn't you? Oh, it's okay. <laughs> well, Felix. Uh, anyways, we'll leave that alone there. James chapter number four tonight. We've been talking about getting spiritually fit. And that's what we're talking about tonight. James chapter number four. Verse number one, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves, therefore, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother, and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Father, I pray you'd bless the next few minutes that we have here tonight. We love you. We need you. Thank you for this time in your word. Bless the time, help it be profitable, and help us tonight as we look at this passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Mac Davis recorded a song in 1980 that became an international hit called It's Hard to Be Humble. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. And I know some of you in the room probably sing that to yourself every morning, Lori. And uh, I'm sure some of you do that. Our passage today, as we look tonight, 
at this passage and we talk about being spiritually fit, there are a lot of things I want us to look at tonight and not a lot of time. If there's a thought I want you to understand tonight, God gives grace to the humble and not to the haughty or to the proud. God gives grace to the humble and not to the proud. We have three main points and several sub-points tonight, so we're going to dive right in tonight. Number one tonight, we see the, problem, um, the problems among us are rooted within us. I'll repeat that. The problems among us are rooted within us. Instead of blaming outside factors and other people when we encounter problems, we must identify the forces at work on the inside according to verse number one. Look at what verse number one says here. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Specifically, when we are in conflict with another Christian, we must examine our own lives and admit that there's a war going on inside of us. That's what the scripture says here. And so as we look at this, it's our lust, our passions, and the pursuit of pleasure that puts us at odds with one another. That's what the word lust there is talking about, the pursuit of pleasure, our passions. It's the same thing that Jesus mentioned in the Gospels in Luke chapter number 8, verse number 14, where he talks about the soil and where the seed fell among thorns. The Bible tells us in Luke 8, 14, and that which fell among thorns are they, which when they had heard go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. I guess we don't have that verse. That's fine. We must admit when we look at problems going on around us, we got to realize something. Our main problem is always rooted within us. That's what the Bible's telling us here. A newspaper one. I want to tell, let's see, is that, do I want to skip that one? I'm going to skip that one for sake of time. But James goes through, what is it that's our problem? What's the root problems inside of us? We see this found in verse number two through verse number four. What are some of those things? The first one, letter A, is unfulfilled desires. Ye lust and ye have not. And then we see that it says there, ye kill. The word lust there means like desire, you long for. When our longings go unfulfilled, we're prone to take others out. Think about David. When David's desire for Bathsheba led him to adultery, he then murdered her husband, Uriah. The verse continues and says, and as we look there, it says, Ye lust, and ye have not, ye kill, and ye desire to have. We see when our insides are stirred up, we're miserable. And we go into attack mode by fighting with others. It's unsatisfied desires that lead to deep resentment. Then the key to avoiding conflict is contentment. You want to not have fighting with other people? Be content with what God's given to you. But the Bible says right here, ye lust and ye have not. One of the problems is, the problems that go on inside of us is this unfulfilled desires, let her be unasked prayers. Look at what the rest of the verse says there. It says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss 
that it, you may consume it upon your lust. Then the verse, and then the verse number two, it also says there, ye fight and war, ye have not. Why? Because ye ask not. So the root problems inside of us, why conflict arises, it begins with unfulfilled desires, but unasked prayers. We don't have what we really need simply. Why? Because we've not told God about our needs. Ye have not, because ye ask not. The reason why we lack in our prayers, and church, get this tonight, is because we are often proud and we think that we can take care of things ourselves. It's called self-reliance. The reason, be, and as we look at this, when I don't pray, what I'm telling God is, I can handle this myself. I don't need your help. We could sing a song tonight like, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you every hour. I need you. And that should be our, how we live. But when we, un, when we don't go to God and talk to him and ask him things, the reason for unanswered prayer may simply be that you've never even asked God in prayer. You have not because he asked not. We see in the letter C, some of the problems, the battles that go on inside of us is not only unfulfilled desires and unasked prayers, but underlying motives. Look at what it says, ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that it may consume it upon your lusts. In verse number three there, we see we're discontent, and because of that, we're praying for the wrong motives. The word consume, do you see the word consume? That may consume. The word consume there literally means to squander and waste. The word lust is talking again about the pursuit of pleasure, or a self-indulgent at all costs. When you're asking for something because you just want to consume it for yourself, you're asking for the wrong reason. As a Christian, we battle these things. You see, when we pray, our motive should not be, what's going to make me happy? See, Lord, what do you want? Lord, Thy will be done, not mine. One of the problems that lies inside of us is this, the motive behind why we ask God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. When we pray selfishly, it shows I'm trying to use God for my own purposes, and God will not answer those prayers. We see unfulfilled desires. We see unasked prayers. We see underlying motives. Then we see unmasked affections. James, James is brutal. Sometimes you think I'm brutal when I preach and I get going. James is brutal. Look at what he says to these Christians here. Look at verse number four. After he goes through, hey, where do these things come from? They come from inside of us. And we have these unfulfilled desires, we have these unasked prayers, we have underlying motives. And look at what he says in verse number four, how he starts out, ye adulterers and adulteresses. That's pretty straightforward. He's speaking to Christians here. And James changes his language and gets a little rough with them. And he tries to get them out of their complacency and their compromise. And he lets them know, ye adulterers and adulteresses. I think you know what an adulterer 
an adulteress is. The male side of adultery and the female side of it. That's what it is there. It's like, why in the world would James be calling Christians adulterers and adulteresses? It goes back to what the Lord said in the Old Testament. And do you, you got to understand something? God is the same always. Sometimes we think the Old Testament doesn't apply to the New Testament day. This phrase comes from the Old Testament that James is quoting. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, we think of Isaiah 54, verse number 5. For thy maker is thy husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. Speaking through the prophets, what did God accuse Israel of doing? The book of Hosea and other prophets, he accused them of cheating on him with other gods. And he called them adulterers and adulteresses. In the book of Hosea, he instructed the prophet to marry a prostitute to demonstrate God's faithfulness to us even when we're not faithful to him. In the New Testament, we see pictures of Christ being as the bridegroom and the church as his bride. And when the Lord was, when Jesus was calling out the religious leaders in Matthew 12, verse 39, he called them an evil and adulterous, adulterous generation. How do we commit spiritual adultery on God? Are you ready? You might not like it, but let's look. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The word world here refers to the world's system. When we have a growing fondness for the things of this world, we will have friction with God. You see, A.W. Towser once said it like this. He said, a whole new generation of Christians have come up believing that it is possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world. The Bible makes it clear, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We see, how do we as Christians commit spiritual adultery? By our love for this world. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible uses this. It says, um, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity. The word enmity means hostility or hatred. Think about that. That your friendship of the world is hatred, hostility with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world, look at this, is the enemy of God. Say, why would I be the enemy of God if I'm a friend with this world and the way this world goes? Because it goes in direct opposition of who God is. No man can serve two masters. Didn't Jesus say that? You're either going to love one or the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It doesn't work that way. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, verse number 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Some of us have gotten so cozy with this world that we've compromised our convictions, and because of that, we are at conflict with God. Christian, you're not supposed to love this world. 
You're not supposed to love the setup of this world. And you say, well, pastor, I love the mountains. I love the ocean. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? And I think you understand that tonight. And if you don't understand that tonight, you need help, okay? I think you understand what I'm saying. The way this world set up, the garbage this world tries to pump into us. As a Christian, we're not supposed to cozy up with the garbage of this world. And yet what we see more and more today in Christianity is pastors that are cozying up with the world and going the way of this world, and that's not how it's supposed to be. When we make friends with the world, what we're telling God is we become his enemy. Because the world and God are going in two separate directions. Far too many Christians, far too many Christians in this church watching online tonight, we have a problem because we get too cozy with this world. We do the things of this world. Let me just remind you tonight, the things of this world are not the things of God. Be very careful when you're more cozy and more comfortable doing worldly things than you are coming to God's house and going to church. Hey, when your political ideas align more with this world than they do with this book, shame on you. I talked about it a little bit this morning, and I'll be preaching a little bit more about it over the next couple weeks. As a Bible-believing Christian, if you Vote for someone who believes in abortion. Shame on you. Don't tell me you love God and you don't vote right. The way you vote, and I don't care, Democrat, Republican, Independent, I don't care. It should be based on this book. Every single time. We have too many Christians that want to be like this world. This world's not our home. We're just passing through. Act like a Christian. Love God. The problem is we're committing spiritual adultery on God by replacing him with this world. You hear Christians all the time. I heard a pastor, and I'm not going to use his name tonight, but he talks about how his church isn't going to open for a long time because he believes in loving your neighbor as yourself. And I'm being good to my neighbor by staying closed. The world loves to quote the Bible to us. Have you ever noticed that? You know something, though? The great commandment is not to love your neighbor. It's not. The great commandment is to love God with everything you have. And if you're going to stay out of church to love your neighbor, but you won't go to church because God calls you to go to church, your priorities are out of whack. And there's something wrong with that. Bible tells us about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. We have a problem in our churches today. If we don't have the problem of legalism, which a lot of churches do, the other problem is the, the problem of license, where too many of us are in love with this world, and you cannot have it both ways. Too many Christians want it both ways. You can't have it both ways. It doesn't work that way. God gives grace to the humble, not the prideful. As we get going on now, here's the problem. 
Maybe you watching online tonight, or maybe some of you staying in the room didn't like some of what I said just a minute ago. So let me meddle in your life a little bit more, okay? <clears throat> you know the reason you don't like it? Because the pride in your heart. Because all I said is just what the Bible says. If you don't like it, that's a pride issue on your part. Get your pride right and get humble and let God work in your life. This is the problem. And we look and we continue on in this passage. And we're going to run out of time before too long. I need to keep on going here. But the problems that we have among us are rooted within us. That's where it all begins, inside of us. Say, Pastor, I've got problems. I've got issues with people. inside of the problem that you have. No, it's so-and-so. If so-and-so was nice, I could just be nice to them. Maybe if you would just take care of your problems, that's supposed to be the difference. We see, number one, the problems among us are rude within us. Number two, the promises to us come from above. Unless we admit our problems, we won't be in a place to receive God's promises. I want you to see some special things in the next few verses. We see, first of all, that God yearns for your holiness. Look at verse number five. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Think about that for a second. Now, God desires, the Holy Spirit of God desires more for you to live right then you desire to live right yourself. You see that verse, verse number five? The spirit that dwells in us lusteth to envy. The Holy Spirit, think about this. He longs, God longs for his spirit to work in our lives. This is God. Let me ask you tonight. Do you long, do you yearn for God's spirit to work in your life? We as God's people should. But what the Bible tells right here, that God himself yearns for his spirit to be working inside of us. If you're, and you think about that, the Bible tells in Romans 8, 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If you struggle to have a daily time in God's word and in prayers, contemplate this truth tonight. God wants to meet with you more than you want to meet with him. He yearns to spend time with us. He wants to be there for us. He wants to help us and to grow us. He, he's got a greater desire than we do. That's a truth right here. How powerful that is. Until you are satisfied in God alone, you will never be satisfied. Dissatisfaction is designed to lead you to find satisf- satisfaction in God alone. Think about this. God yearns for our holiness, number two, or letter B. God gives grace to the humble. Not only does God want to meet with you more than you want to meet with him, he is a grace-giving God. Look at verse six there. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. God's grace is greater than any sin you've ever committed. James quotes their part of Proverbs 3, verse 34. Surely he scorneth the scorner, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. 
scoreness it was is setting an army again and God was God will do that. He scorneth a scorner. You want to have a proud heart? God will not work with you. God resists the proud. But he gives his grace to the humble. God hates pride. What's the sin that God Lucifer kicked out of heaven? Pride. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. And what's the very first one? A proud look. God hates pride. The only way to receive God's grace is by being humble. If God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, we better make sure we're not making ourselves opponents to God. We've seen a couple of things tonight. When you're a friend with this world, you're an enemy of God. May I just carry that a little bit more? This was written to Christians. How could a Christian be the enemy of God? It's what it says. You can be a saved child of God and be opposing God by your love for this world. You can also be opposing God by having pride in your life. Because God cannot work with pride. God's given us some promises. God gives grace to the humble, not the haughty. Hey, church, we must first admit the problems among us are rooted within us. We then can claim the promise, his promises to us that come from above, which leads us to point number three, and we got about 10 minutes to get through all of this. The prescriptions for us, the prescriptions for us must be taken by us. There are 10 actions that God calls upon to help with this issue. Now, let me review real quick where we've gone, and then we'll get through these 10 things and be on our way. We start out tonight, the problems among us are rooted within us. Most of the time, most of our problems are because of unfulfilled desires, unasked prayers, underlying motives, and our affections are in the wrong place. What we must do is we must recognize it and we must realize the problems are within us and then remember his promises. His promises as we looked at there, God wants to be with you more than you want to be with him. That's just powerful to me. Why would God want to be with me and who I am? God wants to. He longs. He, 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 look what it says there. that He lusteth to envy. He wants to spend time with us. And we see there that he giveth more grace. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Then we look lastly tonight, we see the prescriptions for us must be taken by us. If your doctor gives you a prescription and you don't take it, it won't help you. Right? I think that's pretty obvious. So what is God's prescription to help us tonight? Number one, or letter A underneath number three. First thing we got to do, submit to God. The first prescriptions found at the beginning of verse number seven. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. It's a military term, meaning to subjugate by placing under. We're called to put ourselves in rank under God. Are you ready to stop fighting and submit yourself to God? Hudson Taylor once said this, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. 
how do we get better from the conflicts that arise inside of us? Number one, we submit to God. Number two, resist the devil. Notice what it says next. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The word resist is also a military term. It has the idea of standing against. Paul said something very similar in Ephesians 6, verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. When we fight, Satan will take flight. We are to flee temptation, but we are to fight the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The prescriptions tonight, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Look at the next verse. Once you submit yourself to God, you resist the devil and he flees, what do we need to do next? Draw near to God. The third prescription, it says there, draw near to God, and then we see a promise. He will draw near to you. Psalm 73, 28, but it is good for me to draw near to God. J. Oswald Sanders said this, both scripture and experience teach that it is we, not God, who determines the degree of intimacy with him that we enjoy. We are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. That's what, do you see that verse there, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you? God will be as close as you want him to be. Say, God's not very close to me right now. <laughs> How close are you to God? When you're not close to God, that's the problem. It's not God. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us, which means he's right there. Say, so, but I just don't feel God. Draw near to him draw nigh to you. We see we're supposed to submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God. Number four, letter D, cleanse your hands. Cleanse your hands? What do you mean, pastor? Think about this. When we submit to God and we resist the devil and we draw near, we become actively aware of our sinfulness in our lives. We're called in verse number eight to be free from any outward filth. Why do you wash your hands? To get the stuff off of your hands, to get the germs off. You know, it's amazing. One of the greatest ways to fight COVID, are you ready? Wash your hands for 20 seconds. No one should have to tell us to wash our hands. Everyone should. But how many times one of my sons come out of the bathroom, did you wash your hands? Oh, no, Dad. At school, Gage, did you wash your hands? <laughs> Sorry, Gage, I'm just picking on you. I don't know if Gage really does that. I'm not down there enough, but Gage, I'm just teasing you. His face turned red. I'm sorry, Gage. Just, I was just making sure you're awake tonight. But it's wash your hands. You wash your hands to clean stuff off. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 7, verse number 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, we submit to God, we resist the devil, we draw near to God, we clean our hands. Next, we purify our hearts. We must actively engage in inward purification. 
because we are double-minded and distracted. We think of David's prayer in Psalm 51, verse 7 and verse number 10, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. How are we going to help those wars and those battles that we face of our own passions and our lusts? Well, we need to submit to God, number one. We need to resist the devil. We need to draw near to God. We need to cleanse our hands. We need to purify our hearts. And this is a hard one. Embrace brokenness. In a world that overly focuses on one's happiness, you've got to embrace brokenness. That's what God calls us to do. Look at verse number 9. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. We must see our wretchedness and weep about it. Our sin should cause us sorrow. There are too many Christians. I wouldn't, I'm not going to be broken. That's your pride. Embrace the fact that you're broken because you are. I am broken. Embrace the brokenness. We don't like that. God wants me happy. What does that verse say in verse number nine? Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. This is what the Bible says right here. James develops that even further in chapter number five and verse number one. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your misery that shall come upon you. Instead of focusing on laughter, and we all like to laugh. How many of you like to laugh? Let's be honest now. How many of you like to cry? Some, sometimes. Oh, I, I don't even know what to say to those who would raise their hand. They like to cry sometimes. It was just a good movie, and I just felt so good to cry. I have yet to find a time where it feels good to cry. If I cry, it's, thank God I'm not. Thank God I'm not. I could, I could say a few more things right there, but I'm not going to. But we think about it. The Bible tells us in Luke 6.25, Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall be hungry. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. You want to help those problems going on inside? Embrace your brokenness. Next, we're running out of time. Next, humble yourself. We see, do you see how it's mentioned again? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. God gives grace to the humble, not the haughty. But you know something that's important? Until we embrace our brokenness, we will not humble ourselves. Where it says there, be afflicted and mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Until that happens, you will not get rid of the pride. Someone has said this, if we don't humble ourselves now, the Lord will do it later. The phrase Messiah of the Lord is a picture of standing before the face of God. 
Isaiah 66, 66, 2 says, For all those things had mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. You notice another promise from God. When you humble yourself in his sight, he will lift you up. We don't like that. We don't like brokenness. But do you know what's in brokenness that helps us humble ourselves so the Lord can lift us up? We tend to lift ourselves up without the Lord, not the Christ. Let's finish this up. We've only got a couple minutes left. Next one, I don't even know what letter we're on. Letter H, refuse to judge another. Refuse to judge another. It says there, verse number 11, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. James is appealing, and he uses the term brethren, and he uses the term brethren or brother three times in this passage. And the word brother or brethren here means from the same womb. We can see from the tense of this verb, he's correcting something that's already happening, saying, hey, brethren, stop speaking against one another. To judge means to sift out and analyze evidence and is also in the present tense indicating a continual passing judgment. Someone once wrote this poem. It's supposed to be a satire poem, but sadly... Is how most Christians live their lives. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat and drink but what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then will I fellowship with you. I'm going to make you a statement right here that would be a good one for every Christian in our church to remember. We need to stop looking down our noses on those who are not exactly like us or those who sin differently than we do. You and I are not perfect. And may I just tell you something? Stop demanding perfection from everyone else. That's what we do. Let's stop standing over others in spiritual judgment. When we speak against a brother or a sister in the Lord, we are speaking ill of the law. That's what it says here. What is the law? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And lastly, let God be the judge. When we stand in judgment of others, we're really standing in the place of the ultimate judge. You look at the end of verse number 11. Thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? In essence, when we criticize or put down a fellow brother or sister in Christ, what we're doing is, God, 
I know better than you, and I'll take care of it. Let God be the judge. Think about this with me tonight. Where do the wars and the fightings happen among us? It's our passions and our lusts and our desires in here. We have unfulfilled desires. We have unasked prayers. We have underlying motives. And we have affections for the things of this world that a Christian should not have. God has given us promises that we need to remember. The fact that God yearns for our holiness and God wants to be with us and wants his spirit to work in us more than we want his spirit to work in us. God also gives grace to the humble. And because of that, if you want to fix the fighting and the war that goes on in your life, there are ten things you need to do. You submit to God. You resist the devil. You draw near to God. He draws near to you. The closer you get to God, the more you see your sin, and you're going to want to wash your hands and clean your hands. But it's not just enough to wash your hands. You've got to take care of the inside and purify the heart. Once you purify the heart, you're going to see, man, I'm a mess. You'll embrace your brokenness. You will humble yourself. You'll refuse to judge others, and you'll let God be the judge. Because at the end of the day, only by pride cometh contentment. And I, I, there's one left, so I'll give you one more. If you're not saved and don't know the Lord, the last one applies to you. Receive the one who was judged for our sins. You see verse number 12 there, there's one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that thou judgest another? You want to be spiritually fit? Get along with people. And if you can't get along with people, there's a list of reasons why, and the Bible talks about We talked about them tonight. You need to go back to God's book and remember the promises that the Spirit of God longs to work in your life. And God giveth grace to the humble. And then you need to take the ten things I said tonight, do them in God's order. God doesn't place them in the word of God by accident the way he does. Till you submit to God, you cannot resist the devil. Because you're going to be doing what the devil tells you to do. You submit to God, then you resist the devil. Then you draw near to God. He draws near to you. As he draws near to you, you're going to realize, oh, there's sin in my life. i got to fix this. You wash your hands and get it right. You fix the heart. When the heart gets right, the pride disappears. The pride disappears, and all of a sudden you're broken because you realize who you are. And then you humble yourself, and you quit judging others, and you let God be the judge. A lot in 12 verses, isn't that? Maybe you need to take this and go back over in your mind. If you're having a problem getting along with your spouse, this would be a good passage to read. You have a problem getting along with other church members? This is a good passage to read right here. You can't get along with people? Right here. But pastor, it's the other person, it's not me. And there you go judging again. There's only one judge. And it's not me, and it's not you. 
him. Let him do the work. Let him do his job. Let's quit fighting and warring among one another and start living for God and be Christians in all that we do.